Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous Special Edition Sunday. My name is Melanie, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Sunday, May 12, 2013, and today is our Sunday Special Edition meeting. The reference number for Friday Big Book Study, May 10th, 2013 is 4427. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, which today is our Sunday special edition, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Marietta to please read the 12 steps. Good morning. It's Marietta Recovered. The 12 Steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food and that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we'd harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And I pass and thank you, Marietta from Virginia. Thank you. I will now ask Rose to read the 12 traditions. Thank you, Melanie. The Twelve Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups 
or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Pass. Thank you, Rose. Today is our Sunday special edition meeting where A Vision for You offers special focus meetings and guest speakers for your enjoyment, encouragement, and education, and today is no exception. Our special focus today will be our guest speaker who will show you and tell you without any hesitation that you can recover from the disease of compulsive overeating one day at a time by using the 12 steps and 12 traditions. And she will present her story and fact about that. And today I would like to welcome to our phone line and the special edition recording, Penny C. Good morning, Penny C. Good morning, everybody. Um, yes, I am Penny C. from Massachusetts. And um, I wanted wanted. Uh, start off by remembering that I am a child of God and that um, I have been um, given the, the gift of, of recovery from a seemingly, seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. That was so, so, so true for me. Um, just to, to begin, I, I wanted to say that um, when I first heard about 12-step programs and Dr. Bob, I, I feel as if Dr. Bob and I have this um, special connection. So uh, that came from when I first heard that there was a doctor, an MD, who was a co-founder of 12-step programs. And I, I've been a nurse for years by then. And so we had that, that connection. And then a little bit later on, I found out that his first day of sobriety, and in fact the birthday of of AA, is considered June 10th, 1935. That was his continuous sobriety followed after that for 15 years before he died. And the truth being, when I looked back, I knew it was the second Wednesday in June, and sure enough, it fell on that very day, June 10th. And then to top it all off, I was at the Wilson House up in Dorset, Vermont, where I was 
able to stay in, in the very place where Bill Wilson was born. And I began to read Dr. Bob and the good old timers. And the first sentence was told me that he was born on August 8th and there's my birthday. So I was meant to be in 12-step programs. So I paid a special attention when, when we came in the big book uh, right after the first 164 pages when it talks about Dr. Bob's nightmare. And I just wanted to say these are the reasons that I do what I do when I pass it on. Just like Dr. Bob, it's a sense of duty, which is like a moral responsibility, a moral obligation. It's the right thing to do. The second reason, it's a pleasure. The pleasure comes from seeing other people transformed with, with having followed the 12 steps. And in third one, he says, in doing so, I'm passing my debt to the man or woman who passed it on to me. And there have been so many people, too, I'm so grateful to, who took the time and energy and believed in me and encouraged me even when I, I began to procrastinate in doing those steps. And fourth, that every time I pass it on, I take out a little more insurance for myself against a possible slip. Then when I came to OA, uh, and I want to read just a little bit of this, there is a solution, and I found out as I'm reading this, the truth about it, that we are people who would normally not mix. I come to a face-to-face meeting, or I come to this meeting every morning, and, and I marvel at the idea that no other way except that I'm a compulsive overeater and am giving or uh, gifted with the, the, these meetings would I ever have met any of you. And then it goes on to say that, you know, just like the people on, on a ship that's, that's in distress, we, we, we've, we've come through some, some real tragic times and we share a common problem. But what's different about us is that unlike the passengers on the ship who go their own way when the, when the crisis seems to be over, we, we stay together. And, and the reason we stay together is not just because we like each other or we, we're social beings and isn't it wonderful that we can talk to 200 people every morning on a vision for you. It's because we have a solution the problem never would have kept us together. We would have got tired of hearing everybody's problems. But we share a solution, a way out, which we can absolutely agree upon and which we can have harmonious action. I just love that. So that being said, the other thing I need to remember when I share is what my sponsor told me very, very early on when I was asked to speak at, at a, an anniversary. And she said, Penny, all you need to do is be humble be honest, give out some hope, and trust God. So that's what I'm doing now. I'm trusting God because whatever comes out of me is only what I'm saying as his agent because God is truly my director today. So I just want to, um, you know, acknowledge that, that, that I, I do know that I'm just the agent and, and God is going to speak through me. Well, my early history what I was like. Um, I was a fat kid. I had three sisters who were, were uh, of normal weight to even then, and they were popular, especially with the boys as we grew up. My mom worked, 
and no one else's mom seemed to work in those days. And I just felt so deprived that I came home to, even as a, a young child, I came home to an empty house. I was given a key when I was probably second grade. And shortly after that, my cousin, who was in high school at the time, would come and watch us till my dad came home. So we were not neglected, but I felt so deprived. And that's where I first remember my eating starting. You know, I I, I just felt so lonely and, and um, you know, I had to do something to relieve those those unpleasant feelings. And so I would eat. I would eat and eat and eat everything I could put my fingers on. My first first thoughts or when I remember being dishonest when it came to food was when the bread man some of you may remember the bread man and the milk man coming. When the bread man dropped off two loaves of raisin bread as my mother had asked one day. She left a, a note saying, please, you know, what, what to leave, and he would do so. And I came home, and there, were the, there was the white bread and, and, and two loaves of raisin bread there. And I took them in the house, and I had no thought of, of ever going into them. But an hour later, when my cousin arrived, there was no more raisin bread. And I probably was eight years old, and I ate all of that. And the dishonesty came when the man, the bread man came on that Saturday morning and asked for, you know, came to collect and told my mom that, you know, what he had left. And she said, oh, no, you didn't leave that raisin bread. Um, it wasn't here. You must have made a mistake. And I was right there listening, feeling the, the pains of being so dishonest, but I couldn't speak up. I couldn't let my mom or or the man, or anybody else know that I had eaten all that all by myself. And that's a very, very vivid memory. Um, So my mom worked 3 to 11 in a factory, and I don't remember her ever saying I love you. And lots of my problems as I went through life, I thought, it's because my mom doesn't say I love you. And my dad had just four of us girls, and he he was... he was a semi-professional baseball player, and so I always felt that I was his designated boy. He made me his sports buddy and deprived me of staying at home with my mom and learning to cook and sew and do all those girly feminine things that my sisters did. Um, as far as my religious upbringing, I went to a parochial school for 13 years, and we were very, very, very strictly um, schooled in our religion. I knew every rule from the time I was just a, a real, real young kid. And boy, I followed those rules. And I knew that if you didn't follow those rules, that you were going to hell. And um, there was no question about it. And I became so judgmental, even in those early, early years. Um, uh, so, so I, I was very religious. That's the point, and uh, I didn't know I didn't know what spirituality was all about at all. Um, my thoughts when I was uh, just a young young kid and saw all the things that were going on around me and, and the humiliation and the the jokes that were poked at me, I thought there would be no problem in the whole world if only I would then. And I carried that with me for years and years, probably until I got into recovery, that if only I would then, there would be no problem. In fact, 
about um, two years after I was in OA, a sponsor asked me to write a little autobiography and to include my disease. And in there, I repeated over and over again, it was because I was fat. It was because I was fat that when we would go on outings as a class and uh, one of our classmates' father, mother and father owned a beautiful um, seaside cottage. And in, the, in June, we would all go there, but we had to put bathing suits on. And I would actually feign illness so I didn't have to go to school because I didn't want to put a bathing suit on. Uh, everything, everything was because I was fat. And I didn't recognize that, you know, I had other um, situations that were causing me difficulty. Um, so I went on like that, you know, always in the in the foot in the um, steps of my sisters, always being compared to them. Two of them were just a year older than I. They weren't twins, but one was a cousin that my parents uh, adopted when she was just two years old. And so I had these two sisters just a year ahead of me in this in this small community of, of parochial school. And I was never good enough. I never could be, I was never ladylike like them. Um, I got really good grades, but not quite as good as my oldest, my, my, one of my sisters. So I'm going to fast forward to when it came time to go to college. Well, I had um, I got I got into sports, and that was that was one of my um, saving graces, I, I would suppose. But when it came time to go to college, I um, wanted to be a sports writer. And now, those of you who um, maybe of my vintage remember that, you know, that was a big pipe dream for any any girl. Uh, you know, girls could be secretaries, teachers, nurses. Um, or just get married right out of high school and and be a mom, which I think is a very important. Um, it's it's the role I'm proudest of today. But in those days, it was you know you wouldn't even think about wanting to be you know a police officer or, or a sports writer. That was out of the question. And when it came time to go to college, I was given a couple of scholarships. And that's when my parents sat me down and said, you know, we can't even afford, we couldn't afford the clothes for you to keep up with those people. We couldn't afford even the transportation to those cities. One was in Boston. I lived in Providence at the time. The other was in Newport, Rhode Island. And so I had to give up that dream of going to college to major in, in English and be a sports writer. So there was a hospital just um couple of miles from me. My sister was already enrolled there as a, a freshman in nursing school. And so that's what I thought, that's, that's all that's left. So I'll do that. At least I'll be able to continue study, which I've always, always loved to study. So I went with my mom to the interview, and this was in January, um, or maybe, maybe just before Christmas. I, I think it was the beginning of December, actually. And we went in, and the director said, well, your grades are very good. We have no problem with that. Your references, every, everything's in place, and you are accepted. And I rejoiced in that. And, and as we got up to leave, she said, but there's only one thing, Miss Whalen. 
And I said, yes. And she said, before you dock at the, at the doors of this school in September, you will have, will have lost 50 pounds. Now, nobody told me how I would do it. There were no labels on cans or, or packages in those days. I never had a course in nutrition. I had no idea. All I knew was that a friend of mine's mom had cancer, and she couldn't eat, and she lost weight. And so my sick mind at the time said, well, all you have to do is don't eat. And so I didn't. And that became a problem, trying to hide the fact that I wasn't eating. You know, the nuns, we, we would eat at school, we would eat in the cafeteria, and, uh, and the nuns, one of them would proctor, and one of them finally did say to me, are you eating? Are you eating anything? And I said, oh, yes. That was the end of it. But what I was really doing is taking one bite of each thing, maybe, maybe a piece of fruit, sandwich, and then spitting it out. And, and weighing myself incessantly, incessantly, just um, writing down every single thing I, I, I managed to keep down. And that's how I lost 50 pounds, so that by, by the time the prom came in May, the senior prom, I had lost 60 pounds. And I was skin and bones. I was sick. I don't hardly remember. I hardly remember being there because I, my mind and my body, I was just in a fog, just surviving. Well, so I got accepted into nursing school and uh, got there in September of 1957. And, um, and everything was fine. And I got to start making friends and... The thing that got in the way was that there was an open kitchen, and there was just about anything you can think of to eat there, and, um, you know, healthy, most of it healthy snacks, but I found my way there many, many times during compulsory study hours from six to eight, and don't you know, my room was right across from that kitchen, and the wait went on really, really quickly, and there were times where I would be uh, singled out, singled out in line because my uniforms were getting tight. And the same director would say, Miss Whalen, you're looking like you're gaining weight and that will come off. And again, the humiliation. And, you know, I'm going to go back just a little bit because what it was like in, in, in elementary school, that when I would go to school, not only was I afraid that there'd come a time where, you know, I'd have to go, to, there'd be a school outing and I might be expected to put on a bathing suit. But the school nurse used to just visit twice a week. I still remember her name, Miss Dunn. And when Miss Dunn showed up in the school, I would be in fear that this was the day that she was going to call my class for weights and measurements. And if she did, then... She would call out the weight for all the hair, and I would have to strip to my underwear, and it was so so embarrassing. So that that was that was just really really difficult. Then another thing I just wanted to mention the humiliation was that this is still with me even even these many years later. When I was in seventh grade, I had a who I thought was my boyfriend in the eighth grade. Now girls couldn't be paper 
deliverers, paper boys in those days. The boys could get the paper route and the girls could help them. And so I did that. And he would help me. I mean, I would help him deliver the papers and um, every single day. And on Fridays when he collected, he brought me a Coke. That was, that was my, my fee. But I did think he liked me. And I thought this Dickie, his name was, was my boyfriend. And one day I was walking home from school by myself, and he was at the local variety store where the boys went to pick up their papers. And I was walking by, one of the boys yelled out, Dickie, there goes your girlfriend. And because he was embarrassed, I understand now, that he was embarrassed, and as just a 13-year-old himself, he had to make himself look, look better. He shouted out, what do you mean? That fat cow, they ought to put a bell around her neck. And, you know, that when I see, when I see a fat kid today, my heart goes out to them. And, um, indeed, uh, I, I just want to put my arms around them and say, it's okay. You know, you're loved, and, and, you know, and God loves you. So I'm going to go ahead now and talk about what my life was just before I came to OA. Um, I was married. Um, there wasn't, much, there weren't many um, choices in those days because, because all the weight came back on, and yeah, and I, it weight was up and down a little bit. But you know, I weighed seventy pounds more than I do now, and so at that point when I came to O, just before I came to OA, I was married. I had four children, ranging in age from nine to seventeen. And um, in um, within two months, in 1985, um, my my husband um, sent a, a file for divorce. Now we had been going to marriage encounters for ye- I mean, marriage counselors for years, and we always promised each other that we would never do anything legally unless the other person knew about it. You know, my husband had his own problems. He was an alcoholic, and I came close to the marriage with my own hang-ups and my control, my negative thinking. Um, it, it just wasn't a good situation from the beginning. But, you know, I was, I, my religion said you could not get divorced, and so I was hanging in there thinking that I was doing the best for my children. Uh, so so when I when I came... Uh, I was going through a terrible divorce. Um, my daughter, my oldest daughter, had gone off to college in St. Louis, and um, just a um, couple of months later, this all was within two months, within September and October of 1985, uh, she was kidnapped and rescued after only several hours with, with the man, but was um, left in, in a very difficult state of mind. Um, another daughter who was 16 moved out in anger to go live with her father. And um, my very close cousin, who grew up like a brother to me right next door, died in Paris. Life, life <laughs> to talk about my life being unmanageable and I being in a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body describes me perfectly when I came um, and so uh, I, I, oh, I was the victim. Oh my gosh, 
you know, I would stop people in the supermarket to tell them how terrible my life was. If only they knew how terrible my life was. And uh, literally, I I had coupons, and um, that's a whole other story, how I passed those coupons uh, dishonestly, and I figured out a way to do it before they were scanning them. And I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. But I would rope people in by saying, um, oh, I have a coupon for that coffee you're buying. And then I would begin to tell them how terrible my life was. That's how, that's how insane I was. And I didn't know it. So I'm going to bring you to my first meeting. And I'll never, never, never cease to be grateful for that first meeting. I really consider it the beginning of my new life. So um, I was 47 years old. And that was 26 years ago. Uh, it'll be 26 years on June 10th of this year. So I always, when I when I say that at face-to-face meetings, that you know I was 47 and it was 26 years ago, I just look to see how many people are doing the math. And so yeah, that I'm 73 years old now, and living a new life every single day. So I went to that meeting only because I knew about it. Um, because I had gone to a church group. I had gone to a couple of, uh, several months to a church group uh, at that particular church. And I saw in the bulletin that there was an OA meeting. I had no money. I had no job. Uh, I was, the divorce still wasn't, wasn't uh, final. It was just in the beginning stages. I had three children to support. Um, not the one who went to live with her dad who wanted nothing, absolutely nothing to do with her mother. Um, and so I sat there in that meeting, went all by myself because I knew the way and it was June, it was beautiful and it was a nice ride. And a woman said one sentence that won me over, that I knew I was in the right place. She said, this disease of mine. Now I was a nurse. I'd been a nurse for many years and I knew that I was sure that Alcoholism was a disease, but no one had ever told me, nor had ever entertained the thought that compulsive overeating, that what I was doing with food was because I had a disease. And right away, I felt that sense of, of relief that I'm not, I'm not lazy. I'm not a big slob, as, as people had called me. You know, I... I I'm a good person. I simply have a disease. You know, I'm not without willpower. That none of that none of that fit anymore. And so I hung on to that. And um I left that meeting thinking, this is this is this is going to do it for me. And and you know what? It did. Because I have to backtrack again and tell you that through the years I had even lost so much weight that a doctor said, if you don't begin to gain weight, your blood is so low, we're going to have to do a bone marrow test on you because we think you have a blood dysgrasia because I had lost so much weight. And how I had done that was through, I'm going to say, Weight Watchers. I have no animosity, and I I taught, taught that program today. Um, I met some wonderful people, and if it's working, you know, Dr. Bob says in, in, in his part of his story in Dr. Bob and the good old time is that 
we know we know that AA is not the only way, and I know that OA is not the only way. There are other ways. Um, for me, it's the only way, and for for many people that I that I've worked with, the twelve steps is really where recovery came. But while I was that Weight Watcher instructor, we called ourselves lecturers. You know, I the way I maintained my weight was that we had to get weighed in. Once we worked for that organization, we had to get weighed in once a month. And we went to a big meeting at a ho- at a hotel, and and the um, the owner of the franchise would fly in from Cleveland every month. And I can remember showing up in January in 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 Massachusetts with the temperature hovering around zero in the lightest clothing I could possibly find because I had to weigh in below at or below my weight my goal weight or I could be suspended. And so I would I would starve myself, literally not eat for two weeks before the meeting. And as soon as the meeting was over, all of us pretty much would would scramble out and get our our breakfast that we brought. And for two weeks then, I didn't care what I ate. I overate for two weeks. So that's how I maintained my weight during that time. You know, binging for two weeks, starving for two weeks, get weighed, and start the cycle all over again. And at that at one of those meetings which I led, I actually stood up and said, you know, we have this form that I was given at the meeting, and it asks if you're a compulsive overeater, and I want you to know I took the test, and it was questions much like we have in OA today, and I took the test, I would tell them, and I realized that I'm not a compulsive overeater. Maybe you are, but I'm not, and um, now I laugh at that because I realized that I was just in such denial. And I know that, you know, you don't know you're in denial until you're out of it, and I was still there. So um, shortly after I got into to OA, um, that week, I became what I call my abstinence today. It's been tweaked during the years. Uh, I decided that the disease I would, I would liken to diabetes, because I had taught diabetic patients about their food plan. I knew it inside and out. And so I just adopted a diabetic food plan, which pretty much I live by. That's my abstinence today. The one thing that I didn't take away was flour. I, I right away didn't, didn't do sugar. But a year, about a year into the program, I got into a closed study group that had many, many rules. And so these are not sanctioned by OA. It was what we called an AWOL, which I don't do today, but did in those days. It lasted 13 months. And you could miss one week, only one week, or you were out. And you had to have a sponsor, and you had to follow the the strict guidelines that the leaders gave you. And I balked at that. Oh, my gosh, they were so controlling. They, you know, week after week, and I would call an OA friend and I would say, I'm not going, they're so, so controlling. And week after week, she would say to me, Penny, why don't you just be ready at 20 minutes to seven? Because. 
because if you're in the bathtub at 20 minutes to 7, you probably aren't going to go. But if you're all ready, you'll probably make up your mind to go. And for 13 months, I went every single week, kicking and screaming, as they say. But it's during that time that I received the abstinence that I that really works for me, and that was cutting out flour. Because I realized that I was beginning to, to rationalize that I needed certain products because I would, I would be sick if I didn't. And, what, and I realized today I do eat grains. I am healthy. Doctors say I have a, a superior, superior food plan, and, um, and I don't eat flour. It, it's just not necessary. And we could discuss more one-on-one uh, -on -one if you want about my food plan. That's enough about that. Simply to say that I, I am abstinent. I have been for all of those years with, the, with, the, with the, the help of God. And I know, I know that I didn't do it alone. When people call me and they say, I just can't get abstinent. I listen, I listen, and then I try to insert along the way that I know you can't, I couldn't either, because I needed, I needed a higher power. It was a higher power that, and only a higher power, that could restore me to sanity, and sanity meant not, not binging, binging till I was sick, and then thinking that the only thing would make me feel better was to continue to eat more. So here I am, I'm at OA, um, I've gone through those 13 months of, of, of this um, group step study, um, went through the steps on more superficial level than I did when I did the process one-on-one -on -one with the sponsor, but it certainly was a big, big help. And I began to recover. I began to see, I'd gone to meetings, and I began to see that that my character defects were, were defects were getting in the way, were getting in the way of my serenity and my contentment. And God kept kept giving me all these gifts. Um, one of one of the people I met in in twelve step programs would say to me often. Look for the three little miracles today, Penny. Look for the three little miracles. And sometimes it was just, you know, the proverbial, I found a parking place when, when you know, I pulled up and someone pulled out just in time for me where that whole big parking lot was full. And here I would say, in fact, my children used to say, I know, Mom, God, left, God made this spot just for you. And I believed it. So I, I still... I still look for the three little miracles every day. Sometimes it's a phone call and it, and from one of you, and I thank you for that. So as I went along, you know, um, I got a job, and the way I got the job was a member, oh, just a few months after I was in program and I was told I needed to find a full-time job. I hadn't worked in years. Uh, I had been a nursing instructor, hadn't worked in several years, and who would hire me at 47? And it was a member who came one night, I had been talking about that at meetings, who came one night with an ad she had found in the Boston Globe. And it's, you know, it was advertising 
a job in education, nursing education, and she told me, I want you to go and, and apply for this. Well, the next week she came in and she said, did you go? And I said, no, they'd never want me. She said, it was in the paper again, Penny. So just to make her happy, just to make her happy. And by this time I had lost a little bit of weight and I felt better about myself. And she gave me one bit of advice. She said, you walk into that building for that interview as if you were God's gift to that institution. And, you know, I said, okay, I am God's gift. And believe it or not, I got the job and it paid well. And I was on the way to, to financial security, not, 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 no more worried about, you know, um, how am I going to bring up these kids? How am I going to get what they need? Um, it, it was just, that was, the, that was a huge miracle, a huge miracle that I got that job. So uh, I continued in a way, and um, and life went on, and um, and things got better. Things got better. In 2004, now this is many years later. This is 19 years later. I don't suggest that anybody wait this long. I approached one of my OA um, uh, meeting meeting people and someone I talked to on the phone who I knew brought people through the 12 steps who had done the 12 step process herself with the sponsor and I asked if she would help me. And um, you know, when I started on that journey, because my character defects of procrastination and um, lack of confidence and, and, and inability to, to feel the feelings early on, it took me years, and again, I don't, I don't suggest that anybody do that. But I know today that for some reason, that's the way God wanted me to do it. I accept that. I accept that, that you know, I had to take, take my time and work with two different sponsors. But I went through that big book step, um, study, and, um, you know, I thought I had it made with the first three steps. In fact, I told that first sponsor you know, I really don't need to spend much time on that, those first three steps because, you know, told to my religious upbringing and how I knew all about those, you know, 13 years in Catholic school, two and a half years with Jesuit theology, and, um, you know, I knew it. And she looked at me and said, Penny, we're going to have to spend more time, more time than usual because... These are the basis for all the other nine steps that come afterwards, and I really think we need to do some work on these. And so we did. We did the first three steps. We, um, I, she told me I had to be absolutely convinced, absolutely convinced that, that my life was unmanageable and I, I was powerless over food. And, and it, that took a while until I finally, you know, she had to be convinced that I was convinced. And we went beyond that. And, you know, um, the second step, same thing. And then we got to the third step, turning my will and my life over to the care of God. She made it a ceremony. She literally made it a ceremony. I went to her house. She lit a candle. We got on our knees. And I promised, I promised God in the presence of him and her that I would continue with these steps. 
and still it took me it took me several years i i i i don't i'm not i'm not happy about that but i'm being honest about that and so i continued with the steps i did the i did the uh fourth step the big book way i had many 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 resentments i say today you know it's because i lived so long that i came up with so many resentments but i actually with people places and institutions and principles i had over 200 so no wonder it took me so long but what i realized in each one of those what we call turnarounds in this part of the country what i each one of those turnarounds where i asked myself you know why i was resentful at this person what what did it affect um where where you know where was i selfish where was i self seeking where was i dishonest what were my fears and what could i have done differently every one of them i did that and i realized in every single one with no exception every single one of those resentments i had a part to play i had a part to play and so i was no longer a victim i don't ever want to i don't ever ever want to go back to being a victim today and and if you talk to me and i hear you say well i can't eat that or i can't do this you know i try not to be correct people and come on strong but it it shouts at me no no for me i choose not to i choose not to because when i say i can't or when i say i should or ought i'm judging myself and i'm making myself a victim and that that's that's not not for me anymore i'm a child of god and um all i have to do is is follow his instructions and be his agent and show up and take my marching orders as my sister used to say so i'm going to go on now what am i like what's my life like today well i went through the rest of the steps i i i made um you know i did my my fifth step and i had a new sponsor for my fifth step and with the blessings of my first sponsor by the way and i would go to her house every week every week for months and i would read my fifth step and it was winter time and she had a wood burning stove and we would stand after i whatever portion i read we would hold hands say the serenity prayer say the third step prayer and watch those resentments burn in her wood burning stove and go up in smoke and what what a, what a wonderful um experience that was for both of us so i did that um i took my time with her and went through all the other steps made my list of who i needed to make amends to and found just let me say i found such joy in doing the amends the amends i did fortunately i found nothing but acceptance and uh, understanding but i knew i needed to be ready for the opposite with my former husband whom i haven't spoken to in in 20 some years um and i understand he's he's very very angry and and um prudence on my part and talking to god says you know you can write a letter and i've done that i've written a letter but i haven't approached him with my sponsor's uh blessings and 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 advice i didn't do that 
but many many of the amends I made were were just joys joys um, um, don't miss it is what I tell people don't miss making those amends and the freedom and relief that comes um, so I've, I I live in the in the three the last three steps today taking personal inventory many times each day saying you know I think think what I said might have hurt somebody and making amends as soon as possible as soon as possible and and you know the meditation and prayer um, I have to be honest and say that I don't have an exact time for meditation um, I do pray in the morning and again in the evening but you know I take that sacred pause all through the day and meditate sometimes it's one minute and I say, God, I'm feeling uncomfortable. Can you help me? And then I just let God talk to me. And um, it works. Now, if I had said, if you had talked to me like this 25 years ago, before OA, I would have thought there was something very, very different and unusual and maybe even, even to be scorned about you. And that's how I talk today. So life is good. Life is good. I know my time is really running. I didn't think I had much to say, but when I get talking about what my life is like now, what what program has done for me, what these 12 steps and all those wonderful people have done for me, I get get loquacious, I call myself. Uh, I want to just tell you that the the 10th step promises have come true. Uh, No longer, no longer does food call me. Uh, you know, just the thoughts of it. Yeah, I do. I just, I kind of recoil. And I, I it's not, it, food is not an issue for me. And I know it's just today. I know it's a daily reprieve. And I thank God every single day for this gift. In fact, I wrap up this gift of recovery. And I'm going to take good care of it. God and I are taking really good care of it. And, and um, you know, the food thoughts aren't even there. I know what I can eat. I know what what what's good for me and what isn't, and um, and God directs me all the time. Just want to tell you about the mom that never said I love you. She was dying in 2004, I believe it was. She was dying with Alzheimer's disease and was barely verbal. And I had to drive to from from well about forty miles to her nursing home, and it was very difficult for me to do. But I had one goal before she stopped being speaking, before she became nonverbal. I was going to get her to say "I love you." See, I still thought I can control. And I went down to her nursing home. She was in a jerry chair, and her eyesight I don't think was so good at the time. And I sat in front of her. In fact, I knelt in front of her. And I took her face so she would look at right into my eyes. And I said, Mom, I want you to say I love you. I'm your daughter. I'm Penny, your daughter. Look at me and say I love you. And I repeated, Mom, say I love you. And she looked right me right in the face and she said, Don't think you're going to put words into my mouth. Well, some of you may be chuckling at that, and I do now too. But what I had done that I had been taught to do is I talked to an OA person before I went down to that nursing home with that in mind, and again when I came back. And what he said when I came home, and I told him that I cried most of the way back from from Providence to the Boston area, he said, well, I guess you didn't get what you wanted today, 
but you certainly got what you needed. That that mom was one who did nothing that wasn't for the good of us children. And I, I, I'm not going to take the time, but I could tell you what she did, what she did working 3 to 11, getting up for breakfast each morning with us, making our lunches every day because we came home from school. And that's where my negative thinking, my attitude has so changed today. The dad that made me his boy and his sports buddy, and I, and I resented him. He was on my first, first list of resentments for doing that. And today I thank him for the enjoyment I get from sports. And the way I made amends to him is whenever a sports uh, event would come on TV or the radio before we even had TV, and the Star Spangled Banner would play, he would want us all to stand and put our hands over our heart and, and sing the song. And I would not do it. I refused, absolutely refused. Well, when the All-Star Game was in Boston, the way I made amends to my dad is I stood up when they played the Star Spangled Banner before the game, and I sang the whole song in tears, and then at the end said, okay, Dad, this is for you. Um, the children, the daughter that was kidnapped, and she came home. I didn't think she was ever going to work or study again. And what God did for her is today she is a professor of geology at a major university and has her Ph.D., and that God is so good. God's just so good. The daughter that left in, in, in anger and, and never wanted to be like her mom, um, today she's a nurse, and we're, we've got a really close relationship. And she's the daughter who got married a month ago and uh, for the first time at 44 years old and asked me if I would apply to the state and get a license, a one-day license, so I could officiate at her wedding. And... Um, told me that everything was perfect because I did it. Um, how do I understand God today? Today I'm spiritual. I'm not anywhere near as religious. I still practice my religion, not as, as, um, as dutifully as I did in the past, um, but I believe, I believe, and I, I thank God for, for the upbringing that I had. But the spiritual part is that you know, I believe that God is with me. I talk to God. You know, before I, I started speaking this morning while Melanie was doing the introduction, I said, okay, God, here we go. I trust you. You know, be my partner. And um, that's the kind of relationship we had to have today. I, my negative thinking is, is just about gone. Um, it's... Um, I try. I try not to have. And what I do, I replace it with generous, generous doses of negative, of um, gratitude. Because I've heard and I believe that negativity cannot live in a grateful heart. Um, the woman that screamed and took pleasure in being a victim, she no longer exists. I don't even know that woman. When I read some of my early journals, I I just say, who was she? Who was she? It's, 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 it's been miraculous. It's just, I've had so many, so many miracles on my way to, to recovery. And again, as I'm wrapping up, I just want to say that, um, that um, I am so, so grateful to, to all of you, to all of you, to all the other people who've been 
fear on my path in the rooms, on the phone, um, over, you know, calling me, uh, demonstrating to me that this program works, and leading me to the spirituality that I have today. Um, it's been it's been a wonderful, wonderful ride, and um, I wouldn't change it for the world. You know, I used to think that other people had what I wanted, and and you know, I was I had jealousy and. And just just last week, I'm in a memory study. That's what happens when you get to be my age. They, they, um, the medical people, you know, single you out and say, "Let's see if she, how her memory is." Well, they told me it's pretty good. But the questions they asked me at the end of the the session, which was a lot of testing and interviewing, were, "Do you feel today like you're on the same power with other people?" Do you feel serene most of the time? Do you feel like, you know, depressed most of the time? And I, the answers were, I think the lady thought that I was making it up. Because when she said, you know, do you wish you were somebody else? I said, no. Do you wish you had more money? No. Do you think you have enough? Yes. Um, So I'm going to close, really, really going to close now, with a little um, wish that I wrote for a talk that I was asked to give in another 12-step program um, about, well, in April, um, in front of 800 people. Never thought, never thought I would... I would ever, ever do that, but I guess it was always on my bucket list, and and God was with me, and um, I trusted, just like I'm doing now, that whatever came out of my mouth this morning was just what God wanted me to say. You know, I don't second-guess God or myself anymore. So this is is what I want to leave you with. May May you have peace within you today. May you know and trust that you are exactly where you are meant to be. May you realize the infinite possibility that are born of faith in yourself, in others, and in your higher power. May you use the gifts that you have received in Overeaters Anonymous and pass them on with love and understanding that has been given to you. May you love yourself just the way you are, just the way you are, no matter what size, no matter what, what, what weight, no matter where you are. May you love yourself just the way you are today. May you know the freedom to sing and dance and live and love. And may God hold you in the palm of his hand. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Penny, for describing to us so beautifully the life towards recovered, happy, joyous, and free. And now is the time that we have... um, questions and answer time for Penny. We have a few minutes here to be able to do that. And I'd like to offer it up to whoever would like to ask their first question of Penny. Rose? Hi, good morning, Rose. Hi, good morning, Rose. Good morning, Melanie. Thank you. Penny C., God bless you. Thank you so much for that um, sharing of your strength, hope, and experience. Thank you so, so much. Penny, I I do have a question. Um, You covered almost everything, so it it almost uh, doesn't allow for a question in such beautiful detail and uh, telling how you work your program. But this question has to do with um, 12-step work. Um, what, What has been 
uh, if you can if you can say um, what has been like the most or the wisest, the most successful um, way for you to do twelve step work, or or if you could just share a little bit on that, I'd I'd really appreciate it. Thank okay, you. thank you, Rose. Um, soon as you said you covered everything, and and but you had a question, I thought I you know time ran out and I didn't get into really getting into the twelfth step and 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 the 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 wonderful experiences that I've had, not only um, you know having a sponsor but being a sponsor. And I wanted to start with having a sponsor. Um, the person I, I still consider my sponsor, although I don't call every single day like I did in the beginning and for, for many, many years, is a dear, dear person um, who, who you know, just listened to me and, and, um, and, and accepted where I was at and, you know, and just kept telling me, it's recovery is in the steps, recovery is in the steps, and let me go at my own pace. That was important. Let me go at my own pace. And, um, and, you know, and especially in the early days, you know, guided me in recovery in, in, in the physical um, sense, too, with, with my abstinence. Um, I no longer call every day. I still consider her my sponsor, my overall sponsor. Um, but I did get a step sponsor along the way. And um, and worked with with her oh many 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 hours many many hours, and as I I said it took me years to complete the process, so I think that's the way God wanted me to do it, and so I don't have a set way when you say you know working with other people, um, you know we're all individuals, and I believe that I have to. Um, or that God wants me to do the best I can with the time and energy that I have and and the time and energy that the other person has. Um, I can tell you right now that I just recently um, turned in my keys at my job, and I'm um, going to be 74 in August, and God's been telling me for uh, several months that it's time. It's time to... Um, to retire, to have more time, to do the things that I want, that um, that I need. And one of the big, big reasons on my list for retiring was be able to spend more time carrying the message, passing on my recovery. Um, I'm trying to get to your exact question, Rose. When I work with someone else, I meet with them, and um, I, I have to say that I've never brought anybody through the steps strictly on the telephone. Most of the time, or all of the time, it's been face-to-face with some telephone sessions. But just two days ago, a woman called me and asked me, for, um, for to be able to do that, if I would do that with her. And I told her that, you know, it would be a learning situation for both of us. And so what I'm going to do is employ what I do with the people that I do face-to-face. And so the first thing we do is just what my sponsor did does with me and did with me. And what she did was teach me the set-aside prayer that says, you know, God, let me set aside everything I think I know about myself 
the 12 steps, the big book, you know, even you, God, so I can see the truth. And there's a few different versions for that, and you can get those online. So the set-aside prayer is one thing I, I say and I tell my sponsees to say before they do any step work. And then also the third step prayer. And I think, you know, we, we, we know that. And um, I'm going to suggest that maybe we can close with the third step prayer when, when, this, uh, when the answer, question the answer period is over today because it's just a beautiful prayer. And then we go on to the doctor's opinion. And like my sponsor did with me, you know, I want to be sure that that person is 100% thoroughly convinced. I want... I want him or her to be convinced that they are powerless over food. And so I ask them many times to write, write, write a history of their, what they did with food so they can see how powerless they were and how, how life, especially around food, was unmanageable. And we go from there. We go from there. Um, and then I use the, the turnarounds that I can share with anybody who would like to hear about that. I know other people from my area, when they've shared, have talked about that. And I understand now that this is not necessarily the way that, that it's, um, the forms are a little different, but still we're doing it the big book way. It's exactly what the big book says. We just use different forms and, diff- and slightly different questions. Um, and then... Um, yeah, when we get get to the amends, one by one, we decide, you know, where, where we use the fourth step inventory to see if any of those names are names I need to make amends um, about. And just about so, so many of the people that I resented were people that I needed to make amends to. Never would have thought that. So, Rose, am I on the right track answering your question? Hello? I'm sorry, Penny. I was, on, I was muted. Forgive me. Oh. Yes, yes, you were. Okay. All right. So uh, let's talk more on, on the phone if you need more, uh, um, yes. you want more of that um, discussion to go on, okay? No, I'm going to call you. Thank you so much, Penny. Thanks, Rose. Good to hear from you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, Rose. Is there another question that someone would like to ask of Penny? This is Sharon in Denver, Colorado. Can you hear me? Yes. Good morning, Sharon. Hi. Good morning, Sharon. Hi. Good morning, and thank you so much, Penny, for your your story. It just uh, touched me on so many levels, and I just want to tell you that God did a mighty work in you today, and um, it's just amazing how we... um, we grow up with so much fear, or at least I did, and uh, so many rules and and never feeling like I measured up so I could really relate to so many things. But to know that I am a child of God today and you are and all of us are, and um, so I just really look forward to continuing on this journey and uh, I thank you so much and I want to wish everyone on the line who is a mom, a happy Mother's Day, and I am so grateful that by God's grace and mercy, I'm, I am abstinent today and working through these steps. God bless you. Bye. Thank you. Uh, so, so there was no question there. Thank you, Sharon. And is there another person that has a question for Penny? 
Hello. Hello. Hi, my my name is Kelly, and I don't know if this is the appropriate time or not, but I won't be able to stay for the rest of the meeting, and I just would be so grateful to have Penny's phone number. Thank you, Kelly. Yeah, my phone number is on the list, the Vision for You list, uh, but I'd be happy to give it to you. It's 781-447-1468. Thank you um, very much. I'm 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 doing better as far as returning calls and but that still remains one of my I don't know if I call it a defect or just I haven't figured out how to how to um find or arrange the time for um for more um time to spend. Um that's one of the reasons for the retirement. Uh, I have four, four. Well, I have eight, eight beautiful grandchildren, and four of them are still under the age of of six, and live in in close proximity. Um, and um, I spend a lot of time with them. And that's. Can I, I didn't say when, in my sharing. You're just leading me into this. Um, that you know, having grandchildren for me is um, God's way of saying, okay, Penny, you got a chance to do it again. You got a chance. I did the best I could as a mom, and I've made many, many amends to my daughters. Um, they've turned out to be unbelievable, um, unbelievable friends, and um, I'm just so proud of each one of them. Um, but the grandchildren just give me a chance to, to do it again. And I'm so grateful. Thank you. Who else has a question for Penny this morning? Hi, this is Lisa from Colorado. Good morning, Lisa. Yeah, I'm really intrigued by the story about your daughters because um, is it ever too late to really make a new beginning with your children? Because my kids are like uh, 28 and 31, and I'm finding by doing the Big Book Step Study process that we have a whole new start, and um, my daughter is not married, and she's had a very difficult life based on a lot of choices I've made. I'm just really inspired by the daughter that got married at 47. And can you give me some experience, strength, and help along those lines? Well, well, yes. Thank you, Lisa. Um, my first um, answer when you said, "Is it ever too late to start?" No, no, no. And, um, you know, and, and God gives us a new start every single day. Every single day when I open my eyes in the morning, you know, it's a new start. And, and you know, there's a, there's a little prayer my aunt taught me, and I mentioned this once before on these lines, that um, she was 96 when she died, and she said this prayer just about every day of her life, and she taught it to me. And I actually... Um, you know, did it uh, on on a on a document and put some put some uh, graphics on it, and I have it framed. And it's you know, good morning, God. This day is for you. I ask that you bless all I think, say, and do. And so, you know, I ask God to help me. But there is never, it's never, never, never. You know, you've heard it's never too late to have a happy childhood. It's never too late to have a good, to have a, a renewed and healthy relationship with grown children. Um, there's a there's a page in one of um, 
in some of our literature, and I can, I, I'm sure I read it somewhere, and I can't find it again. So maybe God put it in my head, and it's really not there. But it says, God plans results that I can't even imagine. So what I have to do, what I do do, is put every situation in God's hands, and then ask God for the direction. What 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 can I do? And yeah, doing the big book process. Going, you know, practicing the steps and just, um, you know, thinking of it as an adventure and, and just, you know, again, my, my, my sister died in, in January and she came into to program just, oh gosh, oh, nine months after I did. And she would say over and over again, when I talk about problems with my, my teenagers or my adult daughters, she would say, Penny. Just keep loving them. Just keep loving them. So, no, it's never, I, I, my story shows you it's never, never too late. Never too late. No, two of my daughters didn't talk to each other for years, and that was a, that was a, a big sorrow in my life. And I would pray about it and ask God, you know, in the strangest of circumstances, I'm not going to take the time to go in it, into it, but the strangest of circumstances brought them together, and today they are um, they're telling me what wonderful moms the other one is, and what 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 how how happy they are to have her in their life. It's I'm smiling. I'm not really laughing. I'm just smiling because God can do what I can't do. Does that answer your question? Thank you, Lisa. Are there any other questions for Penny this morning? Hi, Penny. It's Adrian. Hi. Hi. You said something um, in your food that you don't... I can't hear you. Did, did you mute? Adrian, can you press star one, please, again? Oh, I, I guess I must have gotten muted. Um, you said that you didn't eat any flour, and then you said you didn't eat any grains. Does that mean you don't eat any starches at all? No, I, 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 if I said that, then um, I, I misspoke, or, or maybe I was misunderstood. I don't know which. No, I do eat grains. I don't eat flour. Oh. I don't eat flour because it's processed and it turns into, into um, you know, um, simple carbohydrates so easily. So I stay away from flour and sugar, and and my life is just so easy. People say, so so I tell you, I eat rice cakes, potatoes, um, you know, um, I I. Eat I think I consider see following a diabetic food plan. Um, I consider the starchy vegetables like grains, and so that that's that's um, I do I um, no I've had I've had a nutritionist look over my food plan, and I well I could you know I I know how to do that myself, and I get all the my all the vitamins, minerals, and nutrients that I need from what I eat, and it just makes. People at, at where I work, they would see me eat every day, and they would say, Penny, how can you do that? How can, you know, and they'd see me sitting there eating 
cottage cheese and rice cakes, and they'd say, oh, don't you feel deprived? And I, honest, as honest as, as I'm sitting here, and I am sitting, um, I just feel like, you know, this is exactly, I, I, lo- I love what I eat. I, 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 have the be- I have the best meals. I have better meals than any of, any of them. And many people have told me that. They say, really, in the end, Penny, you, you've got the best meal here, haven't you? You know? So I do eat grains, and I do get the nutrients I need. Thank you, Adrian. Thank you for the question. I um, just wanted to, uh, to kind of veer us away from different food plans because we all have kind of different food plans, and, and maybe we can, since um, Penny was so generous to give her phone number, maybe those kinds of questions can be offered to her off the line here. But did anyone have any other questions about her program of recovery? Yeah, can I just say this? maybe one more? This is Carolyn. Penny, were you going to say something? I was just going to say before, Carolyn, if you can wait just a minute. I was going to say that I agree with with Melanie that um, so much of, um, you know, I thought thought my problem when I came was I just like to eat. And, um, you know, the food plan is just a tiny, tiny little bit of my my recovery and um, in my life today. It's, it, you know, um, I, I would just suggest that if you read the 10th the Step Promises in the big book, they come right, you know, um, it'll describe exactly how, how that, that issue is in my life today. And I concentrate so much more on, on uh, developing my conscious contact with God as a way of recovery. All right, Carolyn, I'm sorry. Thank you, Penny. Yes, Carolyn, your turn. Hi, I'm Carolyn, Recover Compulsive Overeater from Massachusetts. Penny, if you could, um, thank you so much for your story. I I always love talking to you anyway. But um, if you could just elaborate on how you needed to differentiate between the spirituality and religion, I because I think so many people get the two confused. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, the religion for me has to do with the the rules and the traditions and the ceremony surrounding um, an organized way of worshiping God, and um, and and you know, like like it says in the promises, I don't regret the past. I don't wish to shut the door on it, but I don't regret. And and I am grateful to God that I had the upbringing that I had. I needed the discipline. I needed. I needed. And and you know, my God hasn't changed. When I say that, you know, I concentrate more on spirituality and 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 less on the religious part of my of my uh, life today. Um, my 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 God is the same God that that my wonderful parents my absolutely wonderful loving parents you know gave to me and and those dear nuns that I they were on my resentment list they did the best they could they really did and they believed that the way they you know they even instilled some fear of god into me but they believed that that was what it was what 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 was best for me and so um that god is the same god today for me it's just my conception has changed my conception of the, the, the God of my childhood was that I actually saw him with a little notebook, and he would keep track 
of everything I did wrong. Maybe once in a while he'd write down something I did nice or, or well. But all the things I did wrong, and he was adding up the days that I was going to spend, you know, repaying that after I died. And, um, and, and, and you know, um, that God doesn't, that concept of God doesn't exist for me anymore. The concept of God today is the one that says, you know, Penny, I'm here for you. I'm your your friend. I'm your loving parent. And, you know, I I love you unconditionally. And I don't keep, I don't keep, you know, um, a, a scorebook and, on you. I, I just... What I what I want from you, God says to me in my prayer, is just to trust me. Trust me, thank me, be grateful for me, do whatever you can to keep that connection. Because I do, I have that connection with my higher power. And God reminds me, and the program reminds me, and all you people, every single day on A Vision for You, remind me of... The fact that whenever I get into any of my character defects or my my binging or when whenever any any of my disease gets in the way and and takes hold, that connection with God, my higher power, is either you know made very very uh, tentative or broken and. Um, it's just a whole. It's just a whole new way of life that spirituality has brought me to. In fact, you know, again, back to my sister. I think a lot of her. Whenever I share in in, in OA these days, because she was so much a part of my life, um, she used to say, she used to say, you know, when when my sister first started talking about twelve step programs in OA, she'd say she was chasing spirituality. Anyway, anybody she thought that would be able to give her any any um help with that she would chase them and it was true it was it was true and uh i'm attracted i would say today to people who have that connection to higher power that um that i want and you know god's not done with me yet there's still more to come so thank you carolyn Thank you so much, Penny. And that's all the time that we have time for today in respect of our speaker's um, time as well. So I wanted to thank everyone who participated today, those that provided service today and those that supported uh, Penny in her time by asking the questions that were so so wonderful today. But most importantly, I'd like to thank Penny for sharing so intimately today from her own personal spiritual journey in recovery to the point of being recovered, happy, joyous, and free. We're grateful, grateful for that. And now we will close with the reading from the big book on page 164, and then we will follow that with a special request that Penny had with the third step prayer. Will Carolyn please read from A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Hi, I'm Carolyn, compulsive overreader and recovered from Massachusetts. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation 
what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of spirit, and you will surely need some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.